When they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I wonder, uh, who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Of course, we all listen to things and people all the time. Uh, You probably listened to some thunder yesterday morning. Uh, I hope you can stick around and chat with some people after church today, and I hope you'll listen as people um, speak to you. Uh, But when I say, who do you listen to? Uh, Who do you listen to in a way that makes you really want to take on board what they have to say? Who do you listen to in a way where you let what they have to say shape you or um, have a level of authority over you? Uh, Who influences you, you might say? Uh, The idea of influences has become uh, a big thing over the past few years. The idea that uh, a trusted or known voice might be a way of getting across uh, a message in a helpful way. It might get people to listen uh, to a certain message. Um, If Taylor Swift uh, says that she loves a certain type of dress, uh, then lots of people will listen to that. 
uh, and will want to go out and buy that sort of dress. Uh, there's this whole world of um, people online, uh, influencers who are trying to get us, um, trying to get us to listen um, to different things. Uh, I had a video pop up on my um, phone this week um, about a certain sort of product that they were trying to sell me. Uh, it was an egg dispenser. I know, pretty cool. Uh, that's the sort of thing I get influenced in, apparently. Somehow, maybe my phone has figured out that I like eggs. Uh, and I do have chickens, so trying to sell me an egg dispenser. This is a sort of dispenser that you, um, you sort of put the eggs in the top and they sort of roll back down and then you can take them out the bottom and you eat the eggs um, in the right order. So it looks um, pretty interesting. I must have clicked on the video, though, because now um, on my phone I'm getting ads for egg dispensers everywhere. Um, here you go. You can see what I'm talking about, egg dispensers. Um, someone's trying to get me to listen to the idea that this might be uh, the sort of product that I need. I haven't yet decided if I'm going to listen or not. Um, let me know if you have one, though, because I'll be interested in um, hearing, out, hearing whether they're good or not. Uh, I bet you didn't think you'd have to listen to someone talk about egg dispensers today. Who do you listen to? How should we decide who we listen to? Uh, of course, it's um, about much more than the internet, isn't it? We might read books and um, find someone who's a real expert on a certain subject who's written um, something about it. We might decide to listen to them. You might listen to someone who's written a certain story uh, and trying to make you feel certain things uh, or respond in certain ways. I'm sure when we go to a doctor or a specialist or someone who's giving us specific tailored advice to a particular situation that we're in, I'm sure we'll listen to that person. I hope we listen as well to our families and our friends, those who actually know us and can speak specifically to us. Um, and that can be hard, can't it, to work out who are the people we should really listen to and those perhaps whom we shouldn't listen to quite so much. But I think today's Bible passage, above authors and influencers or specialists or family or friends, I think today's Bible passage is trying to show us that following Jesus means listening to him. As we saw in our drama earlier, there are two parts of the passage from today. There's the transfiguration. I think the transfiguration shows us that Jesus should be listened to above all others. Why we should look to Jesus, why we should listen to Jesus. And then the healing of the boy, I think it does show us lots of things, but I think one of the things it is, it's a worked example of what listening to Jesus should look like. Um, so we're going to do those two things. I'm just going to make a, a couple of comments about both of those things, and then we will finish um, with some ideas about listening and looking to Jesus and how we might do that in the year ahead. Um, so first, how does the transfiguration show us why we should listen to Jesus? For some of us, the story of the transfiguration will be a pretty well-known one. Um, if you haven't heard the story before, that's kind of what we acted out. It's what Chris read for us. It's what we call the transfiguration because Jesus transfigures. Um, he goes up the mountain. Peter, James and John uh, are with him and suddenly his clothes are bright, shining white. It's sort of as if um, you start on this journey with Jesus. As the story gets darker, you're heading towards the cross. It's sort of amongst that darkness as you head towards the cross is this moment of great brightness. And it's a pretty amazing story, but I think a lot of us, even if we know the story well, we might go, well, that's kind of cool, but I'm still not really sure what the point of this is. What's actually going on um, with the transfiguration? Let's just, let's just take a few minutes to go through what happens. Um, Jesus, Jesus goes up the mountain. Um, the disciples are there with him. As we saw, he starts shining white. Um, and then suddenly with him are those two Old Testament characters, um, Moses and Elijah. Now, I think this is a helpful question to ask. Why Moses and Elijah? What's going on with Moses and Elijah? I wonder if you have any ideas um, what might be going on with Moses and Elijah. These are both well-known figures. 
Uh, but then again, we could have had Abraham, or we could have had David, or we could have had Isaiah, or we could have had Daniel. Um, there are all sorts of Old Testament characters we could have had. So why Elijah and Moses? Well, I think if we can get ahead around this question, I think it gives us a bit of a clue as to what's going on at the Transfiguration. I think there are a couple of things going on with Elijah and Moses. Um, one, one thing I think that's going on is that for the Jewish people, um, they, had, they had what we call the Old Testament. That was their Bible, of course. Um, they didn't call it the Old Testament. Um, it was God's word to them. That was their revelation of God to them. Um, what they called, called their Bible at the time is they called it the Law and the Prophets. The Law and the Prophets. Uh, Jesus himself actually used that, that term a number of times. He said, the Law and the Prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. The Law... That was what they called the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the, uh, the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible that are generally associated with Moses, who seems to have written most of them. And then the prophets uh, was what they called the rest of the, rest of the Old Testament, often um, was associated with people like Elijah, who was one of the great prophets. So think about what the picture we have at the Transfiguration. You have Moses, who sort of is associated with the law, and then you have Elijah, who's sort of associated with the prophets. And then you have Jesus. I think the symbolism seems to be that, well, if the law and the prophets were how God's word, how God's revelation came to people in the past, well, the way God is now revealed is in Jesus. Moses, Elijah, Jesus. You can see why a loud voice from heaven came saying, listen to him. You've listened to the law. You've listened to the prophets. You've listened to the Old Testament. Now we listen to Jesus. But I think there's another layer to the imagery of why particularly Moses and Elijah were chosen as well. Um, Did you notice, so they went up to the mountain, um, Jesus starts shining, Elijah and Moses are there, and then uh, remember what Peter says, notice what Peter says. At first glance, actually, I don't know what you think when you kind of read Peter's comment, but to me at first glance it seems like he probably should have just kept his mouth shut. Um, I mean, I get it, I certainly have a habit of Um, When it's kind of a beautiful moment, I might tend to open my mouth and sort of spoil it by saying something awkward. Um, It kind of, to me, seems a little bit like that, what Peter's saying. Um, It's it's here in verse 5. We've we've got it here for us. Um, Moses and Elijah are in there. Jesus is brightly shining. Uh, And Peter goes, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's um, let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were so frightened. At uh, first glance, maybe you think differently, but to me it seems like Peter's just said something here pretty random. Um, can I set up some tents for you? Would that be nice? You know, he's just trying to, trying to do something to help. Um, but actually, the more I think about it, I do wonder, and I think perhaps it's true that Peter is perhaps actually saying something quite profound. Uh, let me explain. Again, it goes back to Moses and Elijah. Um, another connection between Moses and Elijah is that both of those two characters from the Old Testament both have these very special presence of God moments on the top of mountains. I don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain before and you've got to the top of the mountain and you feel like you're having a particularly special spiritual experience or like you're closer to God. Um, but if you have, there, maybe there could be a little bit of something in it because at a number of key points in the Bible, people do seem to have these mountaintop experiences of God's presence. You might know the story of Elijah. He climbed up the mountain, he hid in a cave where God was going to say that he was going to pass by him. And you might remember a wind goes by and God's not in the wind and then an earthquake goes by, but God wasn't in the earthquake and then a fire goes by, but God's not in the fire. And it's all very scary and dangerous. And then God ends up coming as a quiet, still voice. You might remember 
that story from the story of Elijah. And then go back even further to the story of Moses in Exodus, part of the Bible we're going to be getting into later this year, actually. On the very same mountain as Elijah, God also passes by Moses. And he comes down as the big, fiery glory cloud. And the mountain becomes very dangerous and they have to set up a boundary so that the people can't go and touch the mountain because it's all very dangerous. And Moses himself can only see God's back. It would be too dangerous for him to look at the face of God. And the people in Exodus are told to build a tabernacle, a big tent. Um, that's a big part of, the, part of Exodus that we're going to look at later this year. Um, and the tent is all about trying to have this way of having God's presence with the people in a way that's still safe. Um, trying to have God's presence with the people in a way that's still safe, um, with all that danger of God's presence associated with it. So I wonder, if we come back to Jesus and the transfiguration, I wonder if Peter kind of realises something. They're at the top of a tall mountain. Jesus is glowing bright. Moses and Elijah show up. I wonder if the reason the disciples are so terrified is they realise this is another one of these presence of God moments. And so putting up three shelters, literally he offers to put up three tabernacles, makes a lot of sense. The disciples are worried and so they want these tabernacles, perhaps so they're protected from God's presence. Perhaps it's a safety issue. And that makes sense because verse 7, their worst fears are realised because the cloud does come down and cover them. It is a presence of God moment. It is much like that Elijah and Moses moments from the tops of the mountains in the Old Testament. Only God doesn't speak from the cloud except to say one thing. He only needs to say one thing. He doesn't give a whole Ten Commandments or a whole law or anything like that. All he needs to say is one thing. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then it's gone. Suddenly the disciples look around and there is no one else. Because this presence of God moment... God doesn't need a tabernacle to be with his people anymore. Jesus is the tabernacle. This is God with his people. There's no danger, there's no scary, dangerous fire or storms. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. It's just Jesus. But Jesus is God's presence with us. And so as we put those two things together, we do have two great reasons to listen to Jesus, don't we? God's revelation... It came in the law, it came in the prophets, and now it's come in Jesus. He is God's revelation to us. And then this is a sign to us that this is God himself. This is God's presence with us. This is God's presence in a man. God made flesh. The reason we should listen to Jesus above all others is that he is God's revelation. He is God. He is the one who made this whole universe. He has authority over all. And so if we're going to follow him on this journey to the cross, we should listen to him above and beyond all others. We've seen in the transfiguration, I think now, just why we should listen to Jesus. Uh, So what about this healing? Let me just give a really brief comment on the second part of the story, the healing of the boy. There's lots more we could say. Um, It's a pretty confronting story. The boy is seriously affected. Um, He's foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, doesn't seem to have control of himself. Um, And I just want to notice one thing um, with this story. Um, Perhaps it's not the most central thing, but speaking of listening to Jesus first and foremost and looking to him and his power first and foremost, just notice how one of the things that seems to be going on in the story is that people are showing us what not to do. They're showing us how not to look to God first and foremost. And by extension, they're showing us what looking to Jesus should look like. 
The story starts out with argument, as we had in our drama. Verse 18, the argument is going on because the disciples are trying to heal the boy and they can't do it themselves. And verse 19, Jesus is quite angry about this. It seems to me he's angry because the disciples, rather than look to Jesus and Jesus' authority and look to Jesus' power, the disciples are trying to fix the problem themselves. That's what Jesus is unhappy about. They should be looking to Jesus. They should be listening to him, trusting in him, but they're, they're, just, trying to, they're just trying to do it themselves. And that theme even continues with the father of the boy. He says, uh, verse 22, he says, Jesus, could you help? If, if you can help, could you help? And Jesus says, what do you mean if? I mean, the, the man's father was the boy's father wasn't to know, but we've just seen it, haven't we? This is God. This is the one with all authority. He made the universe. Of course he can heal this boy. And then the story finishes, verse 28 and 29. 29 the disciples are wondering why they can't, couldn't drive this demon out. They say, you know, what, what was wrong, Jesus? Why couldn't we do it? Um, and Jesus says something that has, has generated a bit of debate because people aren't quite sure what he's talking about. He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. It's a lot of people thinking, are there like special types of demons that need special responses to be dealt with? Um, and I think actually that's overthinking it. I think the simple answer is, Jesus is saying, why did you try and do it in your own power? You should have asked God. You should have asked me. Notice actually that Jesus didn't have to pray for the demon to come out. It's not like a prayer needed to be uttered as if a prayer was a magical spell. Jesus was the one who had the authority to cast the demon out in the first place. He doesn't need to pray. Actually, when you think about it, isn't it? He's the one they should have prayed to. He's the one with the authority, not the disciples. You can see how actually it's a very similar point to the transfiguration, isn't it? Jesus is God. He's the one with ultimate authority. He's the one we should look to. He's the one we should go to first. He's the one we should listen to. The crowd, the disciples, they should have gone straight to him for help instead of standing around arguing about what's to be done. It's a little bit like a church meeting where everyone's got an opinion but no one's interested in praying. I don't think we make that mistake too often in our meetings but um, I think that's the picture. He's the one with the power. Following him means listening and looking to him first. So then our final point, how might we look and listen to Jesus in the year ahead? How might we look to him before all others and above all others? Well, I've asked us this morning who we listen to, who you listen to. There are lots of good people to listen to and lots of people who are great to give you great help and advice. Um, the point of this passage isn't to go and stop listening to anyone else. There are uh, all sorts of great human wisdom and good advice out there. It's great to listen to each other, uh, great to be able to speak into each other's lives. There are great, great things that we can think about and, and listen to together. Uh, look to those who we can learn from. Although perhaps for some of us there are some voices that we maybe should realise that actually that's maybe not a helpful thing to be listening to. Um, perhaps there are things that are influencing us a little bit too much or voices in our lives that actually, when we think about it, just aren't that helpful. Um, but I think the point of today's passage is, really, who do we listen to first? Who do we look to first? If Jesus is God himself, God's revelation to us, God's presence with us, then he is the one who made this whole universe... He's the one who knows us better than any of our friends or our family. That means we need to listen to Jesus above anyone. We need to look to Jesus above anyone. Now you might, by the way, not be convinced actually that this is who Jesus is, that this is what you think of Jesus. You might not be convinced that he is who he said he is, that that's okay. Um, I think I said something similar last week and I'll say it again this week. 
um, keep coming on this journey. Let's, let's keep following Jesus to the cross and asking ourselves, well, what do we think of him? Do we think he is legitimate in what he's saying? Do we think this story of the transfiguration was fictional or do you think we think it was a true and accurate account? And put those dates for the Taste and See course in your diary, February 22nd. We'd love to have you there. What a great chance to think about this Jesus and if he really is who he said he is. But if we do want to listen to Jesus, there are lots of ways we should be doing that. One way to listen to Jesus is to be here on Sundays, showing up. We hear a lot of voices during the week. Um, And so we need to be here at church to make sure we're hearing God's words to us together as we gather as his family. In a world where content is everywhere, there's an increasing danger of the words of Jesus being drowned out. We know that, don't we? Church is all about taking a break from those other voices and being fed by his word as we go into another week. It's good too to be meeting with other Christians, pointing each other to scripture, reminding each other of God's words, perhaps speaking God's words to one another. We need to be reading his words ourselves. We also need to be cautious when we're reading other things. Instagram posts, videos on YouTube, books, hearing others' opinions, whatever it is, it can be great things to listen to, but we do need to be cautious. Let's not put other people's words and treat them as if they're God's words and give them unchecked authority. Let's pause and ask ourselves, is this really... Um, what I would think, or really what Jesus would say. We need to be looking first to Jesus. For me, I think the thing for me, I know my tendency when something goes wrong or I've got something important come up, I look to my organisational skills, I look to my problem-solving abilities, I look to Google maybe. Um, The Jesus from the story of the healing of the boy might say to me, what are you doing? Don't you believe that I'm here for you? Don't you believe that I've got the power to help you? Come on, this kind can only come out by prayer. Come to me. I should look to Jesus, pray and ask for his help much more quickly than I do. He's God. He's got the authority. He's got the power. I need to keep giving him the place that he deserves in my life. So who do you listen to? Who do you listen to above all others and before all others? Who do you look to? Who do you go to for help? How about I pray for us as we finish that, as we head into 2024 and beyond, that we would be people who would look to and listen to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, you are the great God in heaven. All authority is yours, all knowledge, all wisdom. You are so not like us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you that he is your revelation. Thank you that from this passage we get a really, a great picture of Jesus, how he really is. Shining bright, transfigured, God himself with us. Help us to listen to him not just to hear his words, but to follow his words above all others. Help us to look to him. Help us to trust in him. We pray in his name. Amen.